You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Frankie. Hi, Adam. How's it going? <laughs> it's a very casual start to the podcast. I'm, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, cool. I'm looking forward to a nice holiday in Egypt. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to go back to my, my native land. There's a lot of use of the word native in this episode. <laughs> it really is. Oh, boy. Just bordering. Yeah, borders on okay. Just bordering on okay. Well, we'll get into that a bit later. I have some thoughts. Uh, <laughs> but yes, before we get into uh, this week's episode. Into like the tomb. To, yeah. Yes, before we enter the tomb, uh, I feel like we need to buckle our shoes first and talk about <laughs> address the raging controversy yeah who knew it was so controversial an episode i did not wow. see that coming literally did not I see know. that coming <laughs> i know it's insane I, I, I can't believe it i mean we've had it's been a, there've been fiery debates all over our social <laughs> yes you had comments from all corners but yes uh, it's been it's been eye opening or eye closing in many <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it turns yeah. out it wasn't as obvious to some other people as it was to us. Spoilers if you haven't listened to our previous episode that the actress or the lady playing Miss Sainsbury Seal changed partway mm. through the episode. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't <laughs> obvious to everyone. There were some very good points made, I will say. Yeah. I will, yeah, I, yeah, I got that about TVs and things. Yeah, yeah a couple of people have pointed out that you know we, did, we didn't have HD back in those days. It was you know many small TVs, small screens, and they were you know those I can't remember what you called them tube TVs that are convex. So perhaps faces weren't obvious. I, I'm still of the opinion that it's glaringly obvious, but I I take your point, and I'm certainly we, we certainly weren't mocking anyone no. for not getting it. That is. Just crazy to think that. If we were mocking anyone, it was the creative decisions made for the episode. It wasn't people watching it that didn't notice that. It was not anything like that at all. And we apologise if we upset anybody because that was not the intention. It was just us. (laughs) Adam and I can only talk about our experience of watching the episode because we can't represent the views of everybody. That's not how life works, unfortunately. So Adam and I found it easy to spot. But not everybody did. And that's fine. That's mm. fine. Also, I don't th- <laughs> like, you know, fair enough. I don't think that saying that oh, I found this glaringly obvious should be in any way construed as a personal attack on no. someone who didn't find it glaringly obvious. So yeah. I-, I think we'll, we'll leave it there. But, uh, yes. uh, you know, if you, didn't, if you didn't spot that the actress playing Miss Sainsbury Seal became another actress playing Miss Sainsbury Seal, then, you know, all power to you. I, I did. And I, you know, I did when I was 11 years old watching this as well. So I, perhaps I just have a supernatural power for spotting when an actress changes. I also, mm. at the end of the day, I don't feel, I feel like, I feel silly even having to say this. It's just a TV show. It's just a bit of fun. And this is just like us being, and we also, Adam and I get silly and we get carried away and we get 
quote unquote ranty about things that we're not really angry about. It's just a bit of fun. <laughs> so yeah, that that's all. And you know what? This issue may come up again in future episodes because it's a theme that Agatha Christie used quite a bit in yeah, some as of we've stories. seen. Yeah, yes. the past sort of two dozen stories we've had this happen. At least half of those stories have involved yes. some kind of disguise or something. But um, yes, it's uh, as I say, we've had many, many comments about it. Most people say, yeah, yeah, I agree with you on. I thought it was a bit obvious too. Most, you know, a lot of people have said that they didn't see it at all, and oh my goodness, that's uh, uh, that was a real surprise to me. We did. Uh, we've had like you know, in the single digits. A very unhinged response in that they like, misconstrued what we said as some kind of personal attack upon them, as if we reached through the pod airwaves, through the RSS feeds, and decided to poke our finger in someone's. No, we would never do face. that about anything. Good yes. <laughs> not for those people. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Yes, just quickly want to give an update while we still can, while the list is still manageable. Um, we've had many more people signing up since we told you about our Patreon last time. Yeah. So. Thank you very much to Kaoshi, to Stephanie, Rebecca Cook, Rhiannon, Jeanette Souza, Catherine Evertson, Sonia Stoheilet, sorry if I got that name wrong, um, Patrick Haddow, Flick Foster, Navin Jane, Kendall Spooner, Savina Rupani, Mickey Walters, Mark Bailey, Carolyn Bell, Sally Garner, Jennifer Johnson, Rachel Scott, Leslie Terhoon, Sarah Langley, Jessica Smith, Cara Albain, Alan Graham, Edith Rivers, there she is, Mademoiselle Caroline, Biarte, Claudia Wiley, and Thomas Hemsley. Thank you so very much. It's blowing my mind, actually, how many people are jumping on board. We've uh, got a couple of things planned that are going to go out to Patreon in the next week or so, which are going to be very fun to do. So, um, yes. Yes. And as of today, well, while we're recording, we've just released another video. Uh, of an interview we did with uh, Miss Lemon herself, Pauline Moran. So if you want to see us talking to Pauline Moran, uh, it's there now. So sign up at patreon.com forward slash cozy AF. We'll put yes. the show notes if you need it. Any correspondence, Frankie? Well, I was just going to say before we do that, we also, the Discord for our Patreon mm. is, is hotting up, I have to say. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the chat going on in there. This is great. So... You get that as well mm. if you join the patron. So come and chat with us. It's really, really fun. Yeah. And yes, we have had some correspondences. Cool, Lilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the correspondi, the plural of the correspondents. Uh, right. Correspondents. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in a weird mood today. This will be probably one of the only emails I read out that touches on the aforementioned controversy okay. yeah, <laughs> of the previous episode. <laughs> But just because it was a lovely email as well. Uh, and the subject line is most recent lovely episode. Hmm. And uh, it says, hello, you want us to let you know if you were too harsh on one two buckle my shoe? Well, I don't think you were harsh enough. I was kind of surprised you didn't laugh at the American accents. Maybe it was just my American ears. Also, I don't have face blindness thing, but I'm starting to realise why people didn't realise Clark Kent was Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your brilliant podcast. I love your rapport with each other. Your humour and your love of Poirot makes me like the TV show much more. And your podcast is a great companion to the TV series. Keep up the great work. And that's from Jennifer in Missouri. Oh, thanks, Jennifer. I have to say, Jennifer, when your email came in, I was like, oh, okay. An oasis (laughs) of calm. We're not monsters. (laughs) This is nice to read. 
So thank you for that, Jennifer. Much appreciated. It's nice that people are passionate. Don't get me wrong. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. And I know this is the thing. We know how much you all love Poirot and love this show and how much it means to all of you because you've grown up, you know, it's been such a huge part of your lives for so long. Same with us. But it's when you love someone that you can take the piss out of it a bit. And that's what we do with the kind of episodes that aren't maybe as strong as the others, but it's all from a place of love. Yeah. 100%. And like my only issues with that episode were the production yes. choices. So yeah, I, mean, I love it still. I've seen yeah, that exactly. about 10 times. I'm yeah. Never stop. <laughs> and we said, as we said, there's a lot of good in it. Hmm. So yes. Uh, we had another lovely email here. And the subject line is Podcast Magnifique. Oh, lovely. Guess. Who's that about? <laughs> oh, very funny. Uh, and it says, Dear Frankie and Adam, I found your podcast through Instagram reels around Christmas time and binge listened to all the episodes over the past month. As you may know, in Japan, people tend to spend large portions of their day sitting on a train. I too sometimes spend hours of my day in transit and listening to your podcast is a wonderful way to pass the time. So we're from Japan. We're big in Japan, Adam. Awesome. Finally. Yeah. He says, I find it interesting how it seems like people's experiences of watching Poirot differ so greatly in terms of which episodes they find memorable. I was quite surprised to hear that you hold Problem at Sea in such high regard because I've never been particularly taken with it during my regular Poirot rewatches. Interesting. Spoiler. The ventriloquist reveal didn't make much sense to me because the voice was we hear behind the door sounds so identical to Mrs. Clapperton's that I doubted the actor, Mr. Clapperton, of Mr. Clapperton could make himself sound like that. I hope you can forgive me for being so damned offensive. You're damned offensive. You're forgiven. <laughs> Listening to your podcast, I have noticed that many of us tend to have a personal connection with a certain story because of a life event or an important moment coinciding with watching it. By far the most memorable moment for me is the haunting sight of Mr. Davenheim disappearing into the fog because I watched that particular episode in the dark living room of my grandmother's old house when I was about six years old. Looking forward to spending more, many more hours in your delightful company. And that's from Ellie in Japan. Oh, lovely Ellie. And a really good point about certain mm. episodes sticking out a bit more. And that shot of Mr. Davenheim, I can bring that to mind now. So yeah, yes, same. very memorable shot. For me, the, the most personal one is uh, the dream and always will be mm. because it was the first one I worked out on my own and I thought I was terribly clever. And I think the ones that stick with me the most are those ones where I've managed to go, oh, hang on a minute, I spotted a clue. And then I've worked mm. it out. Maybe I haven't always got the motives and stuff right. But I've yeah, always, but who? You know, when you work out the mechanics of who's done it and how they did it, then um, then those are the ones. Evil Under the Sun for me. I spotted a clue early on in that and it, it sort of like mm. stuck in my head. So that's another one. Yes. How Cumble Branks from Adam. Oh, I don't much. <laughs> the ones that tend to stick with me, perhaps unsurprisingly, are the spookier ones because mm. I'm a little bit spookily inclined as a person. Uh, so problem at sea, for example, it's the no. no. <laughs> Do you my petit? No. <laughs> Which I hear all the time in my head. Also, though, and we're not there yet because it's way further down the line, but uh, taken at the flood. Oof. And after the funeral. Oof. Yeah. Those ones, like, I get a little chill when I think about because the the villains in them are like. Very chilling. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's loads of I've talked about many times on here for five little pigs because it makes me cry like mm. a baby every single time I watch it. And I have a tattoo a line from it tattooed on my arm. So, you know, there's a few. Mm. As, as completely, as we were just saying, it's such a personal thing to people, this show. We know how beloved it is and 
we don't take that for granted. We take it very seriously, I promise you, in our mm. love of Poirot. One of my favourites is that one where the actress swaps out half <laughs> <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damned offensive, dirty swine. You're damned offensive. Dirty swine. Uh, we have another email here that the subject line is, you two rock and a travel question. Mm. So it says, hello, hope this email finds you well and happy. It does, thank you. Wanted to let you know how much I enjoyed the podcast. Love it. I really enjoy your and Adam's conversations and observations. Have been a huge Agatha fan since I was 14 and was thrilled when I discovered your podcast. I'm happily watching the whole series again and listening to you guys. Now, a travel question. I'm planning my first trip to Europe this summer and was planning on going to London. You had mentioned the Harrogate Festival in one of your episodes and thought it sounded really fun. Here is my travel question. Would you recommend going to that festival or is there another one that you'd recommend? At your convenience. And again, love your podcast. And that's from Chris in Dallas. And he's written, FYI, not a Trump supporter. Didn't want you to think that all people in Texas support the orange hemorrhoid. (laughs) Say nothing. (laughs) No, we don't judge. No. Chris, thank God you're not a Trump supporter. (laughs) So I can personally attest that Harrogate is really, really fun. I have been for a couple of years now. I'm going to be there again this summer. Chris, if you want to say howdy. Uh, to me i'll be there i don't know what what the plans are for it yet but it is really fun if you are interested in crime writing and crime fiction and you want to hear authors talk about their process and talk about different themes within crime writing it's not like the tv show kind of side of crime it's not so much about that it's more about books but if you love books then it is really really fun and harrogate itself is a beautiful place lovely historical town baths and the like so if you're into that sort of thing, then yeah, go to Harrogate because it's really fun. Mm. I would say, Chris, if you are planning to base yourself in London, Harrogate is the other end of the country. So yes. um, you, you you will need to, it's a few hours on the train. If, you, if you're yeah. in London, you will need to go up north. But saying that, going from London to Harrogate is probably akin to, you know, going from Austin to Dallas or something. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. You could fit about 14 of those journeys across the state of Texas. So, you know, we're a very, very small country and we, we do... That's the thing. That. We're like, just saying, a couple of hours not, travel? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> it's not a tube ride to Harrogate. You will need to travel quite a fair way. But when you're in London, do let us know because um, perhaps me and Frankie could uh, swing the tour by that day and we could all go and see Whitehaven Mansions. That would be really fun. Mm. That would be really cool. For sure. Uh, So yeah, Chris, I hope that answers your question. If you have any other questions about Harrogate or anything else, just let us know and we'll do our best to answer. Unfortunately, you're not going to be here for the Farnham Literary Festival, which Adam and I are going to be at in a couple of weeks away. It's the king of literary festivals, (laughs) that is. Of course it is. Well, because we're there. Yes, absolutely. It's four and a half weeks till we do that. Yikes. You know, all I'm going to do is wave and blush. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, if that's not going to make you spend your money, listeners, I don't know what is. What an eight pounds well spent. Worth every penny. And eight of the, and seven of those pounds are in his bum. <laughs> jingle, jingle. <laughs> One last email uh, and there's no subject line. So mysterious. But it says, Dear Adam and Frankie, Hi, I'm catching up on your older episodes and a listener had asked about Hastings' personal life. I just bought the 50 short stories collection and in the affair at the Victory Ball, Hastings states that after the mystery at Styles, he moved into Poirot's London apartments. In another story, Hastings mentions going out to eat with old friends. Just wanted to share that for the person who asked the question. 
Loving the podcast. Also, thanks for mentioning the short story collection on the pod for us American listeners. I live in Maine, USA, so you can add that destination to the tour as well. And that's from Alana. Thanks, Alana. And yes, if you haven't got the 50 short stories book, it's definitely one you need to own. I've got the, sure. I've got it in physical form and on Kindle, so I can just jump to it on my iPad whenever I want to. Very Such nice. Yes, and we will add Maine to the list. I think we, the tour is going to be definitely quite length, lengthy yeah. at this point, but I hope Greta Thunberg it. doesn't find out about our, you know, proposed travel or airfare <laughs> carbon emissions. Well, yes. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> We're going to get pelted with eggs by uh, protesters if we we'll travel on uh, olive oil as the. I, I think we should just <laughs> insert the pound coin and do the Poirot walk across the planet. <laughs> Well, I think we should be sponsored. <laughs> we should be a sponsored walk to get those pounds in. I there. love that you just took a took a minute there. You just took a moment <laughs> just to consider what that would actually be like for replying. <laughs> well, because I've got one in right now, so I'm just <laughs> taking a little moment to think. You like a bag of gold, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> anyway, shall we uh, head off to Egypt? Yes, we're off for an adventure. The adventure. Of the Egyptian tomb. Spoiler alert! I love this episode. Love it. Mm. Love. It's a it's a good one. It's one I always sort of forget about, and I do. I, yeah, we'll get to it anyway. Yeah, it's great. We're on location as well, which is great. And too. first episode of series five. Mm, yes, and we're back to the short ones again, which is nice. Yes. It's it like is a real nice. palate cleanser. I really, really, really do like the shorter ones. I love the longer yeah. ones, don't get me wrong. They're very involved and they're very like epic and they're beautifully produced and all this kind of thing. Sometimes I don't have two hours and sometimes I just want a, you know, a quick shot of Poirot in my arm. This and so other places. Uh, but I completely agree. And I think especially after series four, where maybe a couple of them were a little bit too long. It's very nice to go back to the short ones for a minute. It's a very refreshing change of pace. And also for my note making, I much appreciate not having to spend hours doing them. So, yes, and this is a really good one. (laughs) Okay, you know, I'm just detailed, all right? (laughs) I'm sorry, are my notes too detailed for you? No, 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 Frankie, they're absolutely perfect. We don't criticise you. Okay. (laughs) So, So, well, I have to say, I think we should start including newsreel watch in our uh, yes. mentions, special mentions because we we get an awful lot of exposition in Poirot episodes through newsreels don't we or news newsy caster voices yes we do <laughs> there's a newspaper headline coming up everyone brace yourselves really <laughs> <laughs> so this kicks off with an old-timey newsreel um, we're focusing on famous archaeologist john willard who's just discovered the tomb of egyptian king Menhera. The Pyramids of Egypt, the last surviving of the seven wonders of the world. The latest expedition by famous archaeologist Sir John Willard may soon reveal more of this ancient world's mysteries with the discovery of the tomb of Egyptian king Menhera. No doubt there will be rivalry between Dr. Foswell of the British Museum and Dr. Schneider of the Metropolitan Museum of New York. But keep it friendly, eh, chaps? The local workers fear of a death curse laid down on the tomb over 3,000 years ago hasn't scared off expedition financier Felix Bleibner. 
He's been joined for the opening by his nephew, Rupert, and secretary, Nigel Harper, photographing the occasion. Smile, men hurrah. Yes. <laughs> I, I love saying that. Yeah? It yeah, sounded it's on a, great. It's on, a, it's on par with Dirty Swine. Men hurrah. Dirty Swine. Men hurrah. <laughs> it is a good yeah. fun. I like the way it sort of transitions as well from newsreel to real life by just adding colour. We're at the doors of an Egyptian tomb, believe it or not, as you will know from the title. <laughs> and a group of archaeologists and their helpers, team, gang, whatever. Entourage. Yes. As uh, the, Well, the tomb is like a pair of doors, isn't it? And it's sort of held together with a seal. And there's yes. some debate about whether or not to break the seal. Then it is broken. The trip is being financed by Felix Bleibner, which is a great name. How does she come up with that name? Well, I don't know. But what I like about this is that it's mm. a slight precursor to Murder in Mesopotamia because mm-hmm. you go from Bleibner to Leidner. Uh, that's it. That's why I'm mm-hmm. saying this is ringing a bell. I can't, I, I, do you know, I watched Murder in Mesopotamia about a month ago. So good. And yeah, and I watched this yesterday and I was like, I must have seen this recently because that name's ringing a bell. And it wasn't at all. You're right. It's Leidner. Yeah. Leidner. And Very similar. And they're both archaeologists and all mm. that thing. So it's, it's obviously her having a little play around with some things. But obviously the story of Murder Mafia is completely different. It's not like with um, Plymouth Express and Murder, and Murder on the Blue Train. It's completely different. But mm. yes, that I think her she just tested out some names that she likes the sound of. Maybe drop a B later down the line. See how it goes. She's thinking. Because mm. this is a short story in the sketch, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly, just to say, um, we, we, we should have said first, why heaven for all present and correct in this? No, they're not, I'm afraid. So this time, it's Jap that's missing. Whereas, it, you know, it's been Jap and Poirot sort of guiding us through the last few episodes. This time, Jap's not around, and Hastings and Miss Lemon are back, so that's gorgeous. But back to the tomb. John Willard, the man who is sort of leading the expedition, he's insisted that the seal is broken. The team have gone in. And what happens to John Willard, Frankie? Well... It was worth noting that the hesitation around breaking the seal is because, as they mentioned in the newsreel, there's a death curse <laughs> on the tomb. When, when isn't there a death curse on a... I do it on my house every time I leave it, just in case I get a burglar or something. <laughs> so they, they kind of say, look, do we need to break the seal? Because it's like 3,000 years old. Maybe we should keep it intact. And, you know, it's so unlike the British to just bulldoze into another country and, like, disturb their historical artefacts and claim them as their own. Really weird. <laughs> they bowl straight in there, break the seal. And first of all, shout out to the number of cobwebs in, the, in there. I don't know how that happens, but there's a lot of cobwebs in there, a lot of dust. Many spiders in the desert. Okay, many house yes. spiders. <laughs> they crawl all yep. the way across the desert. Do you know? Oh, thank goodness. Finally, we get to the pyramid. Uh, Down they go yeah. under the tomb. <laughs> Borrowing spiders are the worst. Uh, but they, they got in without breaking the seal, so it can be done. Mm-hmm. But they're looking around the tomb. It's very atmospheric. There's dust everywhere. There are these very striking Egyptian statues and artifacts. And John Willard swiftly has a heart attack and drops dead right there in the tomb. Whoops. <laughs> Quickly, you do. And there's there's our sort of macabre opening 
death, I guess. You, yeah. Yeah, they're worried about a curse, and it seems as though the curse has come true, because John Willard, Sir John Willard, who led the expedition, dropped down dead. My kind of curse. Fast acting, yes. swift, <laughs> straight in there, <laughs> one down, pow. Yeah, and then we go all the way back across to the other side of the planet. We're back at Whitehaven Mansions. Miss Lemon doing her stuff. How did you feel about this scene? Love it. Love Spooky. it. Spooky Miss Spooky Lemon. Lemon. We know that Miss Lemon IRL, we know Pauline Moran, our close personal friend, is a bit spooky mm. from our interview with her. And mm. she's using tarot cards and doing a bit of reading. And she lays down the death card. Dun, dun, dun. Very ominous. Mm. But then Poirot comes in and she can tell she's very embarrassed and hides it all away. But obviously he knows something's up. But yeah, Miss Lemon's got a bit... There's something on Miss Lemon's mind in this episode, I will say, which we'll, we'll find out more about later. She mentioned this, didn't she, when uh, we talked yes. to Pauline. In fact, uh, if you've signed up to our Patreon, you've watched a video of her talking about the fact you that um, she brought over a few of her own qualities to the character and was allowed to sort of play them up. And although she doesn't do it anymore... She was at one time very active in the sort of the more spiritual side of life, wasn't mm, she? So, uh, astrology. She, yes. So she sort of, you know, the producers knew that, Brian Eastman knew that. And I think those elements were written in for her character because of Pauline Moran. And here we go. This is a great example. She's terrible. Oh, what a legend. She's looking at the mystical. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Mystic Moran. Yeah. Mis- <laughs> <laughs> now there's, there's a breakfast segment. <laughs> But Poirot finds out that there's a message from Sir John Willard's wife, the man who's died. His wife, Lady Willard, wishes to consult. My son has always been against my calling on your assistance, Monsieur Poirot. He thinks I'm listening to all this silly talk about a curse. But my husband's death came as a very great shock to me. Yes, of course. And now my son wishes to go out to Egypt to continue his father's work. I cannot tell you why, Monsieur Poirot, but this whole enterprise has filled me with foreboding. It's all those Americans, all those young men from Yale, seems they've been trying to take over the dick right from the start. Mother, really? Yes, he goes to see Lady Willard and her son, Guy. <laughs> mm, he's got a problem. I find it really jarring because he's Sir Guy. <laughs> And Sir Guy, to me, feels like just like a, he thinks the lady doth protest too much. Like, we get it. You're male. Congrats. Uh, <laughs> Sir Guy Manly Man uh, could be his full <laughs> name. Manleman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to see Lady Willard. She's actually a little bit concerned about this curse because since, you know, the death of her husband, who was by all accounts pretty healthy, it came out of nowhere that he died this way. She's worried because her son, <laughs> Sir Guy. Sir Guy. Sir Guy. Sir Boy. Boy man. It's a man boy guy. It's a man boy, <laughs> to... it's a man boy guy. Penis over. <laughs> Boys to men. Uh, Guyman wants to go over <laughs> to Egypt and pick up where his father left off. She's very nervous. Guy is very much uh, death curse. That's ridiculous. Don't be crazy. But Poirot makes a really interesting comment about the power of superstition. I also believe in the force of superstition. He's one of the greatest forces that the world has ever known. We'll find out more about it later, but I just thought that was a very interesting line from Poirot, who's all about the logic, talking about superstition. It almost feels odd with his character, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. And it's a line that sort of comes back very late yes. in the episode with a bit more 
Well, I mentioned it. Yes, it's very clever. <laughs> but um, he's right, though, isn't he? Superstition mm. is very, very powerful. Are you superstitious? I am superstitious, but I think that's more to do with my personality and character than anything I believe. I think I'm just very anxious or looking for reasons to explain certain things that happen in my life, perhaps as some kind of weird fate divine intervention kind of thing instead of my own stupid foolish clumsiness. That would be nicer, wouldn't it, to blame yeah. fate yes. than yourself? Yeah. No, interesting. Interesting. Hmm. It is powerful force, for sure. It is, yes. Shall we talk a bit more about the surviving members of the party at present? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so... We have got, as you said, the man who's funding the whole expedition is... Felix Bleibner. Felix Bleibner. He is a very wealthy man. And he, as he's funding it, he's got with him his nephew, Rupert. And Rupert has brought along some friends from Yale. They're all old friends who went to college together, obviously. So we've got Nigel Harper. You don't hear the name Nigel much these days, do you? Uh, who is Felix's secretary. He's working for his uncle. And we've also got Robert Ames, who is a doctor. We've also got, and this is kind of the underlying kind of tension that exists in this episode, we've got Dr. Foswell from the British Museum and Dr. Schneider from the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And they're both there to steal all the artifacts from the tomb and take them back to their museums. Because it still blows my mind that this is a thing that just happens. It's like they dug up a tomb in another country and they're like, yeah, but we should take those. <laughs> yeah, but we funded this expedition. What, to yeah. our country? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, to our yes. country, which we've just dug up and we're using all your, all your local resources <laughs> to mm. do that. And we're going to nick those and take them back to our country. Cool. Which <laughs> the British Museum is still very much exhibiting mm -hmm. things like this today, which mm. is bonkers. So there we go. That is what is happening there. There's a little bit of uh, rivalry between the British Museum and the Metropolitan Museum. And we've also got some quote-unquote natives. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to talk for a second about Hassan, because this is, my, this is becoming my regular segment of, is he Egyptian? <laughs> and <laughs> I looked it up, and I, I, unconfirmed. However, I don't think he is Egyptian. His name, I've discussed it with my mother, brackets, my mummy, <laughs> who's Egyptian. <laughs> and she, th we think the name is Iranian, but... The man who plays Hassan, his name is Mosafar Shahifi. And in, I don't know, again, maybe it's down to the HD TVs again, but this guy's blacked up, right? Yes. He <laughs> Heavily. Is. Because, mm. and I know this for a fact, not only is it maybe just dodgy makeup, because if you see a photo of him today, he is very white. <laughs> very white. Because this is him in a recent film. Good grief. Hmm. Looks like Brian Cox. <laughs> does a bit look like Brian Cox, mm. actually. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know. I don't. Does it matter? Probably not. It's just something mm. that's on my radar, obviously, given my heritage. But also, I don't particularly look Egyptian to most people either, and I'm not a hundred percent Egyptian. So it could be a heritage thing. Don't know. But anyway, that's for our uh, Arabic fans in Dubai. I know that they appreciated it last time we did this segment. So <laughs> Matt from GQ, that's for you. <laughs> Frankie, worshipping at the boots of our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are sadly not our sponsors. If you want to, that's absolutely fine. Uh, no, but yeah, so Hassan, yeah, they went a bit heavy with the brown makeup there, yeah. which was a little damn defensive. Mm. Anyway, so that segment's now over. Apologies for the rant. But that's the, the party we currently have in Egypt. Mm. Cool. Okay. 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> stay so quiet during these sections. <laughs> Back in Egypt, that gang that Frankie just described is sort of gathered around the table and they're somberly discussing the death of uh, you know John Willard and you know how it affects the dig going forward. Dr. Ames uh, says that he examined Sir John before they left for Egypt and his heart was completely fine. And Rupert tells them all how Dr. Ames once saved his life. And uh, it's here that you find out that Dr. Ames and Rupert and Nigel were all at Yale together. Yeah. Uh, and they discuss who's going to take over the excavation. And there's more discussion over the rivalry between the British and Metropolitan Museums. It's a good little scene, actually. We'll play a clip yeah. for you. Who's going to take over the excavation, do you think? Well, uh, that uh, kind of depends on your uncle. He is the money. Do I get the impression that Dr. Foswell would not be averse? <laughs> sure, the British Museum has got to be in the running. What about the Metropolitan? Oh, modesty forbids. <laughs> Isn't it time you people were in bed? Won't you join us, Uncle? No, no, I just can't sleep. Could you have a look at this thumb in the morning? I'll have a look at it right now, if you like, Mr. Bleibner, before I go to bed. We also find out that Felix Bleibner has got a bit of cut on his thumb and he asks Dr. Ames to take a look at it. It's handy to have a doctor around to look at your thumb. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pity laugh if I've ever heard one. <laughs> Back at Whitehaven Mansions, Poirot and Miss Lemon have discovered that Rupert Bleibner, the nephew of Felix Bleibner, uh, has gone home, gone home to New York. So, Poirot would like to know, of course, why this has happened. Miss Lemon suggests a very helpful way in which <laughs> they can ascertain why Rupert has returned home. Turns out that... Oh! What is it, Miss Lemon? There's no need for you to cable Assistant Commissioner Bergman. Why is that, Miss Lemon? You can cable Captain Hastings instead. With Captain Hastings, he is in California, Miss Lemon? No, he's on his way back. He's staying in New York until Friday. Hastings in America. Adorable. I love the way they um I love the way they sort of make you believe that you're in America as well. And they have the like, <laughs> stock footage shot of the Waldorf Hotel, then Hastings yep. walking into a grand sort of entrance and it's 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 very well done. You don't for a minute think, Oh my goodness me, they flew all the way to America <laughs> to, to, to film uh, Hugh Fraser walking up a staircase. But no. the artifice is beautifully done. It's, it's very clever. It is. And we, there's some fun little, oh, Americans do things differently kind of moments mm -hmm. coming up as well when he orders breakfast. Very, very sweet. <laughs> but <laughs> Hastings arrives, as you say, goes up that beautiful, definitely in America, staircase uh, to, <laughs> to meet Rupert Leibner. And he arrives at his room and Rupert's looking a bit of a mess. Like he's... Yeah. Still in his PJs, still in his little dressing gown in the middle of the day. No judgment, because Adam usually is when we record in the afternoon. <laughs> I, am, I am right now, yeah. Right, there you go. <laughs> and he's wearing the exact same like smoking jacket, distinguished style, everyone. That's for the, the <laughs> listeners. And he is having a drink. Also, shout out to Hastings with another classic cover story. Love that. He's yeah. always very, very well planned. Uh, Rupert's drinking and Hastings clocks that he's wearing white gloves. The drink mm. is whiskey from, which is a bit unusual. Very formal for your whiskey drinking. We'll uh, we'll play your clip. Uh, you can tell there's something happening uh, in the in the subtext. But here you go. I'm a friend of your uncle's. Well, uh, more of an acquaintance, really. He said I should look you up. Uncle Felix. 
Yes. Uh, you went out to Egypt to visit him recently, I gather. How do you know him? How? Oh, uh, well, just as one does, you know, uh, just socially. Uh, how did you find it out there? Egypt, I mean. Hot. Look, um, Mr. Hastings, I guess I'm not feeling all that sociable today. No, 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 I quite understand. Goodbye. Nice to meet you. Look at it again sometime. Yes, so he's sort of turned to alcohol, looks like a haunted man, doesn't he? Hastings makes his escape, and then we get a beautiful scene where Hastings tries to order a good old fully. Yes, I'll have uh, tea and porridge and bacon and eggs, please. Uh, eggs over easy? Uh, no, uh, the other. Two eggs, sunny side up. Uh, Canadian bacon? Oh, uh, yes. Thank you. I love that you can tell he doesn't fully understand what the words mean when he's like, over easy. And he's like, yeah, sure. Uh, the opposite. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever you say. I must tell you that I was in uh, Los Angeles in yes. 2023. And getting a full English breakfast somewhere is near impossibility. The closest I got was the restaurant that was at the hotel. So I had eggs and they were always scrambled. You know, you didn't really get a choice. Um, and they had stuff in them as well. Like they have chopped peppers and chopped tomatoes oh. and things. Yeah. in the That's in a Mexican eggs. influence, perhaps. Right. Yeah. I think it was sort of Mexican owned. Uh, the bacon was very, very crispy. Like you couldn't get, you know, you wouldn't chew on this bacon. So it would just snap. Shatter. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. And um, hmm. then you'd have toast and you'd have like, you know, bagels and croissants and cream cheese everywhere. But you couldn't get beans. Instead, you got this stuff, just do, all they called it was green sauce. And it was like green chili sauce. Mm. 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 It was nice, but it, was, it did leave me craving a full English when I, when I was on the way home. Classic Brit abroad, everyone. Uh, Adam's <laughs> going to be packing baked beans in his suitcase for his future trips. <laughs> Take me some marmite next time as well. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But <clears throat> are you ready for a newspaper headline? <laughs> Yeah, here we go. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Frankie's news reporter voice. Back again. <sighs> Back. It's been a while, guys. Give me a sec. Woo. Uh, millionaire Blyvener dies mysteriously in Valley of Kings. Have I still got it? <laughs> you still have, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Woo. I've been practicing that for all week. <laughs> They're ready for this. Hastings sees this headline, doesn't he? And he gives, yep. a, gives a hell of a... Good Lord. It's a classic good Lord. It's a textbook good Lord, for sure. But yes. Poor old Felix Bleibner is dead. Yeah. We find out that uh, his death was from apparent septicemia from that cut mm. in his thumb that he asked Dr. Ames to have a look at in the previous scene. Uh, but nothing could seem to stop it to the point where, and this was a brutal detail to include, Dr. Ames amputated his arm, mm. leaving him armless. Cricket sound effects <laughs> dropped in there. No, <laughs> <Hey>, yeah, <laughs> very good. <laughs> Thank you. You know, Laura's a fan of pun. I, I did know that. Hi, Laura. <laughs> so yeah, pretty brutal state of affairs. But that's that's two down from the tomb now. Yeah. Terrible tombsome. <laughs> Um, yeah, after we <laughs> found out that Felix Blyber is dead, 
Hastings goes back to see Rupert Blyman because obviously he's going to need a bit of support now. Uh, but what does he find, Frankie? Oh, as if it wasn't traumatic enough, Hastings goes back and finds poor Rupert Blybner dead on his couch and it appears he shot himself in the head. Mm. So apparent suicide. Yeah, I mean, this curse that you know seems to be striking these people down seems to be in full force, doesn't it? We've had uh, Sir John's died and Felix Blybner has died of septicemia, which apparently was incurable. And now all the way across on the other side of the world, Rupert Blybner, his nephew, the man who was seen earlier haunted with white gloves drinking a lot has shot himself it's all happening and they're all dropping like flies <sighs> these curses don't <laughs> around straight down to business i like their style so hastings goes back to england and he fills poirot in on what he's learned about rupert's death and by all accounts no one can understand why he has killed himself because he was young he was healthy i love hastings drops in that he was engaged to an absolute corker some real hot piece. Uh, so why the hell would he kill himself if he's got a hot woman? That's mental. And also, more importantly, he was a really good golfer. So the true measure really of vitality. No reason to... <laughs> it's such a great line, isn't it? When Faro goes, "You're playing the good golf is no reason not to commit suicide, Hastings." You just don't understand golf, Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Oh boy. But we also learned that Rupert had been in Hawaii on business learning the hotel trade. And he was set to marry, as I mentioned, the aforementioned absolute corker, Melanie Wise. Mm. And he tells Poirot about what he observed the first time he met him, about the white gloves. He, and the fact that he looked like he hadn't washed in a week, I guess probably smelled that way as well. Mm. And yeah, it's all a little bit sad and mysterious. But he did leave a suicide note. Yes, and uh, Hastings will read it for you right now. There is no point in going on. I am a leper, an outcast. It's better that I should end my life now than bring misery to the people I love. Rupert Blythe. We're back in Egypt, and it turns out that someone else is uh, facing a bit of a malady. Dr Schneider isn't too well. Dr Ames has been examining him. Schneider says he has a dull ache around his shoulders and his neck and a little bit of a difficulty swallowing and Dr. Ames doesn't look too happy about his condition, does he? No, he does not. So he goes, speaks to our definitely Egyptian friend Hassan and says that he's going to the British hospital in Cairo to get some anti-toxic serum, which I imagine does what it says on the tin, one would hope. Mm. Uh, he'll be back by Friday. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not looking good for old Dr. Schneider. Hmm. That's what's happening in Egypt. Over in England, Poirot and Hastings are back with Lady Willard. She's becoming increasingly scared that her son, Dr. Guy, uh, man, <laughs> nephew boy. Uh, <laughs> Manly guy, man. man manly boy. uncle guy. Man. <laughs> he, she's very worried now that if he goes over, then the curse will somehow attach itself to him and he will die too. Poirot then uh, makes this comment again about the force of superstition, doesn't he? Yes. Meanwhile, back at Whitehaven, the spookiness continues with Hastings. This. Me too. Mm. Hastings and Miss Lemon are doing a spot of planchette writing. I love how open-minded Hastings is. Because he's yes. like, oh, yes, sure, okay, let's do a bit of Ouija board. <laughs> because he's a very good boy, isn't he? He does as he's told, like a good boy. He's the goodest he's the boy. He is. He gets all the treats. And also, I think any excuse to be close to Miss Lemon and like have their fingers touching on the little planchette there. I would. Mm. Me too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Obviously. 
But yeah, it's it's a load of squiggles. I don't if people who don't know what planchette writing is, it's a bit like a Ouija board, but the planchette that you use, instead of highlighting letters on a board, it has a little pencil on the bottom. It's very clever. Mm. And it's apparently or, origins, I looked it up, are in China, but it spells out words for you. Mm. But it seems to mainly be spelling out a lot of squiggles, but Hastings, ever the optimist looking for something, uh, thinks, oh, maybe it's Arabic. Maybe it's mm. King Menhera trying to communicate with them. What's it writing? I can't see. I can't make it out. It seems to have stopped. Let's see what it's written. Can't make it out. Yes. There's a C. That's an L. It's not very clear. It's definitely trying to say something, though. Perhaps it's not writing in English. Looks like Arabic or something. I say. What? Suppose it's King Menhurrah trying to get through. It's very, very sweet. And then Poirot bursts in and he's like, come on, don't be ridiculous, Hastings. We're off to Cairo, baby. Get in the car. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to go out there with uh, Sagai, nephew, uncle, grandpa. And we're going to make sure <laughs> Father, that... Husband. What, yes. Father, husband. <laughs> Father. Whatever's happening to these people uh, doesn't happen to him too because Lady Willard... He's a, uh, you know, he likes Lady Willard, doesn't he? And she yeah. seems to be like one of these nice clients who doesn't call him in because she doesn't call him in to belittle him or make him feel like a servant. She just wants uh, her son to be all right. Oh, so, because her husband yeah, just died and she doesn't want to be alone. So, mm. yeah, he's, he likes old ladies. He even said in our previous episode, he uh, ABC Murders, in fact, he has a, a pension for the old ladies with the maladies. That's his, that's <laughs> a pension his type. for a pensioner. Yeah. <laughs> a pensioner. <laughs> Yeah, rolls off the tongue. Uh, (laughs) So they arrive in Egypt. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. Poirot, of course, is one of these. He's like a a Belgian slash Brit abroad, isn't he? You know, he he sort of really (laughs) doesn't like the uh, discomfort of being in the desert. And we'll see this many times. Yeah, it doesn't help really that Hastings is going full pelt down the bumpy, sandy desert roads <laughs> as he clings on for dear life, bless him. And he's all sandy, his suit, he is not wearing his holiday linens because he's not on holiday, he's working. I guess that's the difference, right? Because he's wearing like a full-on suit and I was yeah. upset to not see the linen because I very much enjoy it. But it's all dusty, he's all like, <laughs> he's hacking up a storm when he gets there. And there's a great uh, line where Dr. Foswell greets him and he's like, it must be Monsieur Poirot. What he's left of him, yes. <laughs> so good. And also, another sexy moment, everyone, because uh, Poirot and Hastings are sharing a tent. Mm. Oh, like yeah. Poirot sort of tests the beds for, yeah. as if to say, no, mm. that's the one for me. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were going to say something else. They've arrived a little too late, though, because Dr. Schneider is dead, isn't he? Dr. Ames confirms to Poirot. Dr. Schneider's death was caused, well, he says it was caused by tetanus, and Poirot is maybe... Well, let Poirot see. And you are quite sure, are you not, Dr. Ames, that the death of Monsieur Snyder was caused by tetanus? Sure. It could not have been, for instance, a case of the strychnine poisoning. Strychnine? No, Monsieur Poirot, there's been no suggestion of anything like that. This was a clear case of tetanus. Did you inject antiserum? Of course we did. Every conceivable thing that could be done was done. But Monsieur Bleibner now, he died of something completely different. Mr. Bleibner had a scratch on his thumb. It became poisoned and septicemia set in. 
it sounds pretty much the same to a layman, I imagine, but the two things are entirely different. Also, damn defensive dirty swine, Dr. Ames, to imply that Poirot is a layman. Poirot is a layman? As yeah. if. He's definitely only got male genitals. <laughs> like Sir Guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the most genitals you've ever Great seen. Manly, all male. <laughs> <laughs> most manly man. And because he's such a manly, manly man, uh, alpha male, Guy is very keen to continue with the dig, regardless of, of the fact that everybody's died around mm. them. Basically, there's like three of them left. He's like, let's keep cracking on. It'll be fine, says Guy. Guy man. Only a woman would stop here, says Sir mm. Guy Manleadman. <laughs> <laughs> Will Hard. <laughs> man. <laughs> As he wishes, they crack on and Poirot and Hastings go in the tomb and have a little snoop around. They're chatting with Nigel, uh, who is swiftly losing his friendship group to the curse, it seems. <laughs> he asks him about Rupert Bleibner and he says, oh, yeah, we know we've known each other for years. And like Rupert was a great guy, but he was a bit of a hypochondriac. He's one of those people that's always got little aches and pains going on. And he was always worrying about something. And actually... Around, but just before he left Egypt, he had a bit of eczema on his hand that apparently he made, quote unquote, a great to do about. And it turns out that, you know, his hypochondria may have been the reason for his taking off and going back to New York. Anyway, we'll get back to that hmm. later. Yeah, after a nice group photograph session outside <laughs> the tent, which is, uh, I, I, I love seeing group photos back in the day because everyone has to sit really still don't they? they sort of like hold their arms up yeah put their hand on a cane and stuff it's great <laughs> but um yeah they're all having drinks uh dr ames suddenly starts feeling a bit poorly doesn't he dr ames mm. uh, the man who called poirot the layman he gets taken off to bed and uh grave looks i can swapped between the, the remaining drinkers yes and even sir guy manly uh, strong man, uh, he's even starting to get a bit worried about this thing now because he's not looking too well, old Dr. Ames. That night, Poirot is reading in his room the magic of Egyptians and Chaldeans, and Hastings comes in. I don't know why Hastings is in a tux in the desert. No idea. I'm very glad he is, though. Me too. Oh, my God. Absolutely. He looks <laughs> looks fantastic. Uh, but he comes in in a tux for some reason. They're having a bit of a chat and Poirot asks Hastings what's going on with Miss Lemon because she's being spookier than normal, it seems. <laughs> Hastings, what is the matter with Miss Lemon? Miss Lemon? Nothing as far as I know. Come, Hastings, do not do the shilly-shally with me. You yourself play with her on the planchette. Well, I think it's her cat. You know, the one she used to call Catherine the Great because it liked sleeping in the fireplace. That cat, he died, did he not? Well, exactly. She's fearfully cut up about it. I think she's trying to get in touch with it. Can I just say that the phrase do not do the shilly shally with me is my new favourite thing. <laughs> I'm going to start introducing it into my daily life. Poor old Miss Lemon and her cats. I wonder if that was a thing from uh, Pauline as well. She does like a cat. She does like we a cat. Didn't fact, she prefers a cat to a human being, as we found out. Uh, uh, rightly so. <laughs> While they're chatting, we suddenly see <gasps> the silhouette of a sphinx head kind of wander past the tent. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And oh my god, it's Menhara, I guess. His head. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. It, it has to be. So uh, Hastings runs out, though, to, to, you know, after a my god kind of moment. Uh, mm -hmm. But the head's not there. Menhara has disappeared without a trace. Ooh. Mm. Boogie. Yep. 
<laughs> such a weak bit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when as a murderer you're clutching at straws a bit, I think. We're trying to scare people with a head silhouette. Oh, God, this episode's only 38 minutes. We need to put another seven minutes into yeah. it. <laughs> head. head. We spent a lot of money on that sphinx head. Let's see, let's get it out. <laughs> Poirot asks Hastings to do that thing that he did so well in Wasp's Nest, where he distracted the chemist while Poirot went through the accounts book to to look for poison names and all that kind of thing he asks hastings to watch while he goes through the tent of dr ames who's still a bit under the weather but uh he's Mm -hmm. out in the desert at the moment so poirot wants to see if there's a certain object in dr ames tent so we get this beautiful scene where of course the moment poirot ducks into the tent dr ames returns and hastings has to hold him off well 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 i beg your pardon feeling a bit better are you dr ames are you waiting for me? No, 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 no. I was, uh, I was waiting for Poirot, actually. I haven't seen him at all, have you? What were you doing this morning? Oh, yes, he was, but he was still walking on. Where he's got to. Poirot! Uh, can I come past? What? I want to go to my tent. Oh, uh, th- this is your tent, is it? Uh, I didn't realise that. They're very good, these tents, aren't they? Yeah, please, Captain Hastings. Classic Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is your tent. <laughs> oh, oh, do, do you know what? Poirot! Poirot! where are you? Where could it be? Oh, it's so good. Eventually, though, he gets around Hastings, goes in his tent, but luckily, phew, Poirot has snuck out around the back mm. of the tent, presumably. And if it, he seems like he's found something that he's interested in. Yes, definitely. Yep. Mm. Uh, and Poirot then calls Miss Lemon. She's found... Felix Bleibner's solicitor, and she's found out the details of Felix Bleibner's very considerable will. There's something about a cigarette. Well, we'll just, I'll tell you what, we'll just let the conversation play out because they direct the shouting. <laughs> yeah. Between the two of them, it's great. Hello? Now you said he read to you the will? Bon, what did he say? Yes? Yes? Cigarette case, Miss Lemon? I think it was just a joke, Mr. Poirot. I see. Go on, if you please. Thank you, Miss Lemon. Au revoir. So they're dressing for the evening again, Hastings and Poirot in their tent. Uh, Or rather, Poirot is dressing Hastings, doing up his little tie for him. So cute. And Hastings is chatting away, saying, oh, you know, maybe I'll stay in Egypt because this is very exciting. Hassan brings in... Uh, Poirot a tisane because he can get those in Egypt of course he can it's Hercule Poirot and they're having a little chat and then all of a sudden Poirot takes ill and falls back on the bed very scary Hastings jumps into action runs out yeah. to get Dr. Ames and he rushes back in with Sir Manly Guy Sirman uh, and <laughs> Poirot is passed out on the bed and they're trying to figure out what's going on it's Poirot he's ill dead I, I don't know it's the chamomile tea don't let her sand leave the camp. There's still a pulse. What's going on? It's Poirot. He's collapsed. Do you smell anything? Almonds. Cyanide. Which fortunately I did not drink. Of course he's not dead. Turkey mother Poirot, baby. He ain't dead. He's my brother. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't dead. Uh, and he makes a very sort of telling comment that he thinks that he was about to be poisoned and he puts the substance that he was about to be poisoned by the tisane into a bottle and sends it off for analysis. 
We then cut to the gathering of the suspects, and uh, I think Poirot is about to do some revealing. So we will cut it off there. 41 minutes into the episode is where you want to watch it up to. And, I mean, all the clues are there, aren't they? Very much so. This one mm. is solvable, I yes. think. I think this Maybe is not the why. Easy. Yeah, you can see who, can't you, really? I mean, the inference is there. I won't say anything else. Um, but yes, what do you think of this episode then, Frankie? I loved it, as I mentioned earlier. This is one of my old faves because I love it when they're abroad. I love it. And obviously, the Egypt thing is a personal thing for me, but I love that it's a bit spooky and a bit dark and weird. But also, not to jump ahead to the reveal, but the how it's done is super dark. Like, it's it's a really dark way of... I'm not, I, don't want to, I don't want to say too much until we get past yeah, the music. Yeah, I know, yeah. But it's super dark and chilling and oof, I have a lot to say about it because yeah, but it stayed it stays with you, this one. It stayed with me anyway, the the, the why behind it. Uh, so I really like it. I think it's a lot of fun. There's some good relief in between kind of the darker parts, like you know, amputating arms and people dying of uh, blood poisoning and the like. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm gonna give this one an eight. Mm, nice. Ooh. How about you, Adam? Yeah, I really like this one. Um, I like the brevity of it. <laughs> I do think the uh, the the eventual miscreant. I think it's. I don't think it's any surprise, which no. slightly weakens it for me. Yeah. I do. I do think that there are there are lots of clever clues in it as well, like the suicide note that yes. Rupert and leaves is very cleverly done. But yeah, the whole as you say the, the solution we, we won't talk about just yet. Um, yeah. We find out it's actually quite an audacious crime, isn't it? Oof. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a seven because I think it's totally solid. I don't think it's, yeah, it's, it's not like a, a, a classic classic to me, but um, I do think it's, yeah, I watch it and I think, oh, yeah, solidly done. Very good. And I love the location. Oh. Right? It's nice to see them out on holiday. Yes. So, so yeah, I'll <laughs> give it a seven. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, very fair. Well, what do you think, listener? Do you rate this one? Please do email us at bonjour at the labors of or drop us a message on our social channels because I'd love to hear from you as long as they're not mean. Yeah, don't, don't chilly shally. <laughs> yeah, don't do the chilly shally. Send good messages. Well, should we talk about the denouement? Because there's lots to talk about, isn't there? Yes, please. Yes, there's a good 10 minutes left. Cool. Okay, well, uh, if you want to go away and solve it, then have fun. And we'll see you after the musical sting. Until then, au revoir. Au revoir. We're back. Bonjour. Bonjour. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Should we um, just let Poirot introduce the germ of the idea first before we talk about who it was? Hell. So we'll just drop a little clip in. The first death need not come into our calculations except for one thing. The quite natural death of your father, Sagai, was what gave to our murderer his idea. The more deaths that occurred, the more everyone would talk about the curse of Menheran. But the less everyone would ask the proper questions. I'm afraid we thought you were just as superstitious as the rest. But that was my intention. You see, I wanted to lull the murderer into a false sense of security until I was ready. 
And in that, I was successful. Yeah, we find out that the murderer walked the mask past Poirot Hastings to the attempt scale. That is just ridiculous. So, I mean, talk about desperation. Oh, spooky part. dog, spooky dog. Oh, that's it. We are back to England, Hastings. Imagine if he had been like, woof. Woof! <laughs> he walked, walked it past. <laughs> yeah, no, it was yeah, not not the strongest way to. Can't believe they didn't fall for it. Weird. I oh, know. Fine, I'll have to resort to poisoning Poirot. Um, yeah. Yes. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to reveal who who the miscreant is? Well, it turns out that the insidious murderer behind all of this was not the curse of Menherar. Shockingly. Shocker. Unbelievable. It was, in fact, Dr. Ames. Mm, I mean. Dr. Death. Dr. <laughs> Aim to kill. <laughs> yeah, is that good? <laughs> Very good, yeah. Thank, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I, I always found it a little bit obvious that it was Dr. Yeah. Ames. Only because Poirot searches, tent comes out, goes, oh, I've got what I need. You know, it's like, as soon as that scene happens, yeah. I'm like, what? what, so he's the, right, okay. Also, he's the only common denominator across all of the people that have died. Yeah, he went to Yale with Rupert Bleibner. He he was on the expedition with Felix Bleibner. He, yeah, you know, with everyone. And who was treating the people that were dying who just could not seem to get better for some reason? Oh, it's Doctor yeah. Ames. So ugh. either he's the worst doctor on the planet, which is also very possible, or he's doing it on purpose. Mm. You know, it could go either way. I mean, the deaths that happen in Egypt kind of easy to explain aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Sir John died of natural causes. At the beginning, when he walks into the tomb and has a heart attack, um, I think we're m- meant to assume that some kind of foul deed has taken place. No, he yeah. just had a heart attack. And that gave Dr. Ames the idea of maybe disseminating this idea that a curse was picking them all off because, you know, people were just so happy to buy into that because, as Poirot says, the power of superstition, it's a power that's very great indeed and that message is stressed across the episode. But, you know, how did he do away with Rupert Bleibner from across the planet? Frankie, do you want to explain that? It's very clever this one. Oh, it is very clever. Well, as we learned from Nigel earlier, Rupert Bleibner was a bit of a hypochondriac and he was, you know, the smallest ache in pain and he'd be very, very worried about it. And he even casually mentioned the fact he had a bit of eczema on his hand. And it turns out that he had gone to Dr. Ames with that eczema and Dr. Ames told him that it was leprosy. Because also, Rupert Bleibner had been living in Hawaii for quite a while, doing his hotel training. And at the time of uh, this story, leprosy was pretty hot in Hawaii. It was, uh, you know, well known for the area. So it seemed very plausible. And obviously, eczema, it can spread pretty quickly if you're not treating it properly. So poor old Rupert Bleibner thought he was suffering quickly from the spread of leprosy, which is why he went back to New York and was wearing the white gloves that Hastings saw because that is apparently a common thing that leprosy sufferers would do to hide their disfigurement from people. And having leprosy was just like, it was a death sentence, really. You, you could only sort of mitigate what was going to come, yeah. which would have been horrible, painful death. So Rupert Bleibner went back to New York, holed, holed up in his hotel room, drank a lot, got very depressed and actually did shoot himself. So there we go, that suicide note where he says, I'm an outcast, I'm a leper. Poirot points out, looking at it, you're supposed to take it metaphorically, but actually he was being literal about what was wrong with him. He thought he had leprosy. That was it. His life was over, so he shot himself. This is why it's so incredibly dark, because Mm. the mental torture 
and putting someone through that to get them because he knew he would kill himself he knew yeah, his character like and that yeah. and he didn't want to be a burden on his you know on his hot peace girlfriend that he was about to marry or his anyone like that yeah. yeah his absolute corker he didn't want to pop that cork uh so he <laughs> Uh, so he he knew that it would go that way and it's just so and it's supposed to be his friend and all of this why did he do it adam why did he trick his friend into killing himself it's very clever basically there were two intended victims felix bleibner and rupert bleibner and the, the crucial thing is they had to die in sequence and why frankie well let's find out because is about to reveal all. In the possession of the lawyers of Monsieur Rupert Bleibner is a sheet of paper. It is old. It is creased. Probably written on while at college during some fit of the drunken merriment. But the handwriting is that of Monsieur Rupert Bleibner. It reads as follows. This is the last will and testament of Rupert Bleibner. I leave my cigarette case, which he admires so much, and all of which I die possessed, to my good friend Robert Ames, who once saved my life from drowning. You see, Dr. Ames, you knew that on the death of Monsieur Felix Bleibner, his fortune in entirety would go to his heir and nephew, Monsieur Rupert Bleibner. But were Monsieur Rupert Bleibner to die, can I just say, top tip, everyone, don't write a will with the people there saying you're going to leave them all your money. Mm. Don't let them know that they're in your will because it just doesn't ever end well. <laughs> don't do that, please. This is the second episode in a row where we've had a friend kill a supposed friend. Right. Over, yeah, just for, Over just money. Stuff, really. Yeah, Dr. Ames was friends with Rupert. Rupert flippantly one night made a will that was legally sound, but perhaps he just didn't assume it was anything at the time. It was just a Lethally sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he left him his cigarette case and all worldly possessions, probably just as a little bit of a whip out. <laughs> he saved, he saved him from drowning. It's a bit fun, you know, like... Yeah. Drunk night. I, I, to be fair, when I was drunk at uni, I didn't write a lot of wills, to be honest. That wasn't really my style, but maybe that was what they did back in the 30s. I don't know. But yeah, don't do that, please, yeah. listeners. But the wheels have been turning in Dr. Ames' head ever since then. He's been sort of looking for a way to off the uncle and then off the nephew. And once that was done, this p scrap of paper would be, you know, entitle him to the Bleibner fortune. But Dr. Ames is having none of it. He pulls out a gun. Who's there on the scene? Hassan! Hassan, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Your man. Yeah, he's not an Egyptian. I don't know where that was. Yeah, but they, they get him and I love Horace. It's like... You have already three deaths on your head, Dr. Ames. Is that not enough? So sad. This is a, I just think it's such a tragic... Story like you, he trusted his friend who was a doctor. That's a double trust. You're trusting a friend and the, the doctor who's supposed to take the Hippocratic oath, supposed to save people. He trusted him and he did that to his friend. It's just so dark. It's so sad. It's dark stuff. It's very dark. Yeah. Stuff. Very good, Christy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it, Dr. Ames. He's responsible for Felix Bleibner and Rupert Bleibner's death, but he doesn't get away with it, thanks to Poirot, who's now back on home soil with Hastings. And a uh, beautiful, beautiful end scene between 
the three of them. Oh, well, we know he's been worried about poor old Miss Lemon. Uh, so he decides to bring her back a little something from Egypt to make her feel better about the passing of her cat, Cat Thryn the Great. I don't know if she did put the emphasis on the cat, but, <laughs> but I did. Cat Thryn the Great. Miss Lemon, in addition to solving this case that has been most difficult, Hastings and I, we have brought you back a little gift from the very tomb of King Menhera. From the tomb? Oui. Voila. It is the very likeness of the favorite cat of King Menhera, buried with him in his tomb to keep him company on his long journey. Oh, he's beautiful. Go to bed this evening with him in your hand and Catherine the Great will visit you during the night. Oh, Mr. Poirot, thank you. Miss Lemon's little face when she sees it mm. is... It's the sweetest, isn't it? My heart hurts. Uh, but a really strong ending from Poirot, another series. It reminds me of Problem at Sea a little bit. Yeah, so it doesn't end on smiles and jokes, does it? Because no. uh, Hastings, well... We'll let them finish us out. I don't know how you can tell her such guff, Poirot. No, 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 Hastings, it is not a guff. It is, as I said at the beginning of this case, to Lady Willard. The power of superstition. It is a power that is very great indeed. And there we go. The power of superstition, a power that is very great indeed. A motif that's been running through this episode. You know, superstition and the belief in something dark is really what led to the death of Rupert Bleibner. And Dr. Ames, of course, has manipulated everyone to think that a curse was picking everyone off. But can be used for good sometimes, as we can see in the final scene, where Miss Lemon takes away her idol of a cat. And uh, (laughs) it's beautiful. It's lovely. (laughs) Very nice. Oh, that's fun. Nice to be back. Back on the shorts. Yeah. Hey, Adam. What's the mm. next episode going to be? It's The Underdog. We're back on <gasps> Shores full time for this one. It's a good one. Yes. I'm excited because I don't remember this one all that well. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. it's. Um, let's just say there's an inferno coming. Um, Disco? Hastings- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. Can't wait to yeah, get into explosive that. Explosive episode incoming. It's a good one, yeah. Hastings is on fire in it. <laughs> <laughs> this has been fun. Yeah, yeah, it really was. The Adventure of the Egyptian Tomb. That was great fun. Nice to um, <laughs> it's nice to have an episode that doesn't involve, you know, an hour of us trying to pick through exposition. It's quite nuts yes. and bolts. It's great. It's nice to be back. <laughs> yeah. The stuff. Well, well, we'll be back very soon with the underdog. Cats yeah. and dogs. What's these yes. two? Yes. <laughs> don't forget our merch store is open at thelaboursofhercule.com if you'd yes. like to sign up to our Patreon it is patreon.com forward slash cozy AF there's links to all of this in the show notes uh, and if you are a patron you will have already heard this episode uh, because you're getting it very early indeed yes <laughs> oh, well we'll be back very soon with the underdog yes <laughs> it's right no, I've got, I haven't got a pun. But I'll tell you who is a Rainy cats and dogs, you're about to say. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> the dog days are over. Hey, there we go. Thanks. <laughs> Au revoir, Mr. <Miss> <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> <laughs>
you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter or X or whatever that numbskull's called it now at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And we're on threads at Labours of Hercule. And if you're born in the 1920s yourself, like I was, you can be all old-fashioned and email at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.